who is her true valentine, right? Who is her true love, and that is God. And not only did she have that on her heart, but she wanted to make sure that you received that as well, that you were reminded of that. So thank you so much for sharing that, because not everybody here knows you or knows your story or knows how creative you are. Aren't the cards beautiful? Isn't that? So I think that, like, out of all of you that have ever received Valentines from a, from a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband or a wife or a child, like, they did that because they know you and they love you and they wanted you to have something. This is somebody that you don't really know that well personally, and she spent all her time, extra time this week to make sure that you had this because she wanted you to know how much God loves you. So thank you, Pastor Nicole, so much for that. We appreciate that. Thank you. It was funny, though, because I'm sitting there, and she's like, she's got the same scriptures I was going to do today. She's got everything. And I'm like, I'm the one who didn't hear from God. I should have just told her to preach the whole sermon. But I'll just piggyback on that, right? And I'll start right up with the whole God is love. We talked about it last week. Did everybody like that illustration with the egg to kind of understand how God is three parts? An egg is an egg. And you can't have an egg without the shell. You can't have an egg, right, without a yolk or without the white. Like, you need all three parts for it to be an egg. If I just take out one part and I just have an egg yolk, right, that's not an egg. That's just the yolk of an egg, right? And can you show that picture? I know I'm out of order, but that's okay. There you see? So we, we, know, we all know what an egg looks like, right? And you need all three parts for it to be an egg, Right? For it to be, it doesn't come out of the chicken without one or the other, right? It's got all three parts. And so we, we kind of equated that with God, right? So we know that there is God. And in the Old Testament, they just they couldn't even name him. He was so indescribable. He was so great. They, he, he said, I am that I am. And if you missed last Sunday's sermon where we did a little bit more of that, you can find it on uh, YouTube already. I think it's already on YouTube, right? Yeah, I saw it on YouTube. Um, Matthew uploads everything. He does all the technical behind the scenes for me. He not only drums, but he takes care of that. So the sermon's already on YouTube. So go to YouTube, search Great Lakes Dream Center, and find the, the sermon that says, What is God? So we went through the Old Testament and how people related to God. And we talked about that. And we said, now when Jesus comes on the scene, all of a sudden he's trying to explain and break down this indescribable God in a way that us humans can understand. And basically, he reminds us that God is three parts, right? So just like it's the yolk of the egg, it's the white of the egg, it's the shell of the egg, or egg shell, right? We have, the, we have the Father God, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit of God. So it's the same thing. God is so grand that we can't understand him or comprehend him. So Jesus begins to break down the parts of God so we can help understand. Again, it's just one God. It's just the different parts of him we can relate to. But ultimately, for us as human beings to understand who God is, we are told that God is love. Because we can relate to love. We have a desire to be loved. We have a desire to love others. I mean, um, you know, they say that People that are single, that have a pet, live longer than those who don't have a pet. Why is that? Because they have something to love. And what does love entail? It's to care for something, right? We, those things that we love, we spend time on them, we care about them, we, we do all these things with the things we love. So even if you're single and you have a pet, a cat, 
You're going to feed the cat. You're going to take care of the cat box. You're going to let the cat come up and rub up against you. Maybe you're not a cat person. Like, I'm not a cat person. I'm thinking, ugh. Maybe you're a dog person, right? Maybe you got a little puppy, and you let him lick your face. Maybe you don't. I let my dog lick my, lick my face. He's so cute. I got a little tiny dog, and I got a bigger dog. What is the point? Love means action, right? You're doing something. So, so for us to understand that God is love, then all of a sudden, what Jesus is trying to say is, God is action. God wants to care for you. God wants to give you hugs and kisses and, and be with you and have you in his presence. We see this here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. This is, they're trying, John, the disciple, is trying to explain this to people. And he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So this feeling of love, now that we've understand the different parts of God, He's saying, okay, he's so indescribable, you didn't have a name for him, so I'm going to try to explain him to you. Okay, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit. There's these three different parts of God. And, and, and as we read through and understand, Jesus tries to explain that this part of God does this for you, and this part of God does this for you. But ultimately, what is the purpose of everything they're trying to do is to love you. And we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I, I've been consciously avoiding it because most of us know it but you can look it up it says love is patient love is kind love is not easily angered one of the the greatest ways i love reading that passage i guess i'm going to go there we don't have a scripture but is is this it's here in first corinthians chapter 13 starts in verse 4 it says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. You know my favorite way to read that is to read it like this, God is patient, God is kind, he does not envy, he does not boast, he is not proud. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no records of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Isn't that a better way to read that, to be reminded of who God is? This, this concept of love... So, as we went into the month of Dece or February, I wanted to say December, as we went into the month of February, you know, it's a big question of what is love, because we have, like she was saying, we have this worldview of Valentine's Day and what love is, and I'll be honest with you, I think most of the world's view of what love is is lust. It, so much so that I remember being a young teenage girl and talking to a man that had been in the military and he had wanted to become an MP and do some sort of higher level stuff in the military. And he was describing how they had to do some like psychological testing and stuff. And, and one of the questions was, do you like little children? Or do you love little children or something like that? And of course, 
mind being in the gutter, right, worldly thinking, I would think like, oh, I hope you answered no. You don't like little kids. That's gross. And he was like, Mary, he's like, if I would have answered that way, they would have known I was thinking that way. The correct answer is, of course I like kids. I've got nieces. I've got nephews. I don't hate kids. I like kids. Why does your mind automatically think that if you say, I like kids, that it's something perverted? And it's like, oh, right? It's like that is the world's thinking. The world makes us think that the only thing we should love is some sort of sexual love, right? And that's what Valentine says. Oh, your, 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 your lover should give you a Valentine. I remember telling somebody one time how for Christmas, I wrote each of my kids a love letter. I was encouraging them to write a love letter to somebody. They're like, why would I write a love letter to them? They're not my spouse. I said, don't you love them? A love letter doesn't mean to be sexual. Just for, just for all of you, though, I ended up writing it in code to my kids. I didn't realize it. I wrote it in cursive. I, I hand-wrote, spent all this time the night before Christmas, I hand-wrote out these love letters to my child. I love you. These are my thoughts and prayers for you. I put them in their stockings. I was so excited. They grab them out. They look at them. They're like, oh, thanks, Mom. And they toss them aside. And I'm like, you didn't read it. And they're like, I can't read this. Like, it was in cursive. So, so one day, somebody will have to decode those letters <laughs> for them. No. So here's my point. God's love is not world's love, right? Satan always tries to give us a counterfeit. We talked about this before. His counterfeit always leaves us wanting. If I go up to the bank with counterfeit 20s and they don't accept him, I'm going to feel wanting, right? Like, oh, I did all this work. I thought I had this money, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't give me anything. Oh, I thought I had this love. It didn't give me anything, because was it lust? Was it, was it true love? Was it what God really wanted for us? So we know that Jesus came, and he tried to show us through this explanation of the three different parts of God. Again, some of the different cultures over the years have thought we worship three different gods. That's one God, just three different parts of God broken down for us to understand. We see it in Matthew Chapter 28. Oh, and, I, and I, didn't, I didn't give her those scriptures either. But it's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, where it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. And what was he saying? He's like, there's these three parts of God. And again, you guys are all looking for this name, the name of God, and he gives us descriptions of the three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? And so Jesus, that's one of the last things he does. But I will argue for a moment and say that most of us as Christians, we pick and choose which part of God we like the most. And God knew that this would happen, right? I mean, I mean, he sent Jesus in human form, and, and really, he was, like, really cool. I mean, have you read through the Gospels? I mean, he was, like, you know, he'd be, like, the, your best friend you'd want. You know, you'd want him to be your wingman. You'd want him to be, like, your best buddy. You'd want him to be your big brother. You know, like, because Jesus, it was just, like, he, he, you read through there, and you can really relate to him. And you can, oh, when the bully comes around and starts saying, oh, you need to do this. He guys, he's able to tell him off, right? And then when the, when the distraught person that's sitting by the well that's been married five times and is living with a guy, and nobody in town will talk to her, she, he's over there talking to her, right, making her feel good and restoring her relationship. Like, like, you read through, you read about Jesus, and you're like, oh, yeah, I want Jesus, and Jesus is what we need for salvation. So God, 
was like really, like really good about knowing that most of us, we're going to want Jesus. Now, for me, it's like when I'm eating an egg and all I want is the yolk. I don't want the, I don't want the shell. I don't want the egg white. I just want the yolk. And I want it barely cooked so it's soupy enough that I can dip my toast in it. It's all I want an egg for. I'll be honest, right? I want the egg over easy. I want to be able to break the yolk. I want to be able to dip my toast in it. That's all I want of the egg. Now, for other people, there's this new craze is egg whites. I, I don't understand you people because I want the egg yolk. But you, you egg white people, you just want the egg whites. Like you literally, you go, I've been with these people, these very odd alien people. I go out to breakfast with them, and the waitress comes and I order my egg over easy, so I've got to make sure that yolk is runny, right, because I want my yolk. And the lady across the table from me says, I'd like an egg white scramble sprinkled with paprika or whatever. I don't know, whatever you guys put in your egg whites. You know, that's it. No butter, no cheese, no nothing. I'm like, who are you? Does the egg white taste good? What does it taste like? It doesn't taste like anything, right? I don't want any egg white. Like, ugh, ugh. So I'm like, I'm the yolk person, they're an egg white person, and then none of us want the shell, the poor shell. The shells just get thrown in the garbage, get thrown in the disposal, unless you're a very special, wise, learned person who's been around the block a few times, and you go to their house and you see a bowl of eggshells sitting on the counter, and you're like, what are you saving those for? Oh, the eggshells, they're full of calcium, they're full of this, they're full of this. I grind them out and I put them in my garden, and it nourishes my plants. And you're like, you're an eggshell person. That's even weirder because I don't garden. <laughs> the egg white person, at least they're eating it. At least they're getting something out of it, right? No. I'm making fun. Why am I making fun? Because just like we can pick and choose with an egg the part we really like, the reality is there's a benefit to every single part of the egg. And there's a benefit to every single part of God. Now, some of you might be sitting here and you say, like, I get Jesus, but God, like the Father, isn't he that vengeful God in the Old Testament? Isn't he the one that, like, brings fire and brimstone down, like, uh And Holy Spirit, that's just weird, Mary. You know, the Bible says that people speak in tongues, you know. Like, I've been, I've been in situations, one time I prayed with somebody, it was just one-on-one, and this person, I thought, ah, just really felt compelled. The Holy Spirit... Um, is a wonderful gift. Jesus said that you'll have evidence of speaking in tongues. Not all of us have that, but for me as a young person, I received the Holy Spirit. I received evidence of speaking in tongues. And it's not for me to show off and do wherever, but sometimes when I'm privately praying, I'll speak in tongues. The Bible talks about it as being the language of the angels and to use it when you don't know what to pray about or what the answer is or what to say or do. So I'll be praying in tongues, which is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And one time recently, I was praying over somebody, and I started praying in tongues. I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. I don't really know what to do. When I got all done, the person looked at me and goes, were you speaking French? Like, what was that? <laughs> right? Because they hadn't heard it before. That really, the, the Holy Spirit, that really weirds most people out. That's kind of like the shell. Like, let's just toss that aside. Like, I don't know about that. Like, I know the Bible says that when I receive Jesus, I receive his spirit in me, and I get that, but I don't know what to do with it or how to apply it or I just, I just hope and believe it's somewhere around me and that the bad guys stay away, right? So let's be real. For our human brains, for some of us, it's hard to not only understand the concept of God being these three different parts, but to also embrace and enjoy all three parts and know how to apply it to our lives. 
right? Like I can know what eggshells are good for, but it doesn't mean I'm going to go plant a garden, right? right? I can understand that egg whites maybe are better, healthier for you, and that doesn't mean I don't desire to eat the egg yolk. See, most of us pick and choose, but the reality is that Jesus came and he kept pointing us to all three parts. And so I really want us to keep looking at this, and let's look at Jesus here for a minute. Okay, because that's the part that's easiest for us to understand. He comes on the scene. He was prophesied about this Messiah coming, the Savior coming. We read about in Isaiah about how when he would go to the cross, the punishment that would bring us peace would be put on him. By his wounds, we would be healed, and that we would be forgiven of our iniquities, and we would be forgiven our transgressions. And so by the, Jesus coming, that part, the body part, the, the human relation part, right, of God coming down in the form of Jesus, the Son of God, most of us accept that salvation. Most of us, that's, that's our connection with God is Jesus. We love Jesus. We pray to Jesus. We just want to be with Jesus. And if that's all you ever get out of God and what he sent, that's, that's good enough. We're just letting you know. Like salvation, that's, that's it. Like that's what we need. I want everybody to know who Jesus is and to accept him. But the reality is when Jesus came, he also came for us to have not only that life, right, of salvation, but to have life to the fullest. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. So Jesus comes along, right, and he wants to start separating our mindset that Father God is this, that God, right, is this fierce God of the Old Testament that we aren't worthy to be in the presence of and that will smite us dead with lightning if we ever tell a fib, right? He wants to restore us into a relationship with God. So what is the first thing that he starts to do? He starts to refer to God as a father. This is the first time you don't see in the Old Testament God ever referred to as a father, there were fathers in the Old Testament, and if they would say, David was my father. In one of the kings, I've been, most of you know I've been working on my master's in biblical studies. I'm in the Old Testament now. One of the kings said, um, his father David. I'm thinking, we're like 100 years past David. Why is this guy referring to his father as David? What did it mean? He meant he was from the line of David, right? And so... When Jesus comes on the scene and begins referring to God as Father, all of a sudden this is a very Jewish cultural thing of like, whoa, if you're from that line, if you're from God the Father, if you're referring to him as your Father, it means you're equal, you're part of that family, you're, you're there with him. And we always thought God was way over there. This is part of the reason why they put him on the cross. We'll get there when we get to Easter time, but one of the accusations against him was you refer to God as your Father. And they felt like that they should murder anybody that said that. Because they didn't, in their culture, think that it was right to equate yourself, that God would be a father to you. And Jesus comes on the scene, one of the first things he does, and we see this here in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41. Jesus is born, and his family that he was with, with Mary and Joseph, every year they would go to where the temple was. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. 
When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it, thinking he was in their company. They traveled for a day. Can you imagine trusting your 12-year-old so much? You've got a 12-year-old that's so honest, so trustworthy, you don't even have to double check. He jumped in somebody's station wagon. I mean, you just know that you know that you can trust him, that he's with you. And then nighttime comes, and he doesn't hop in their tent at night, and they're like, wait a minute, where'd he go? It says, thinking that he was with them in their company, they traveled on for a day, and they began looking for him, for him among the relatives and friends. So then when they realized that night he wasn't there, they started, well, he must be with, you know, his friends. He must be with one of the relatives. Like, he knows we were leaving. Like, we trust him. He's such a good boy. God, you know, he always listens to his parents. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. I love this. After three days. So they looked, and they looked, and they looked, and finally after three days, they're like, oh, maybe we should go to the temple. I mean, you know, it was immaculate conception. (laughs) You know, he's a pretty good kid. Maybe he'd want to be there where God is. But anyhow, it says that they went to the temple, right? When they could not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus answered. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. What do you mean your father's house? Joseph is your father. Right? I mean, even at this point, they're probably thinking he's a prophet. Right? I mean, biblically in the Old Testament, there's lots of, you know, odd conceptions where a woman's like in her 90s and she conceives and of course they knew that, that there was no virgin births but but they still they, they didn't quite get it and not even the prophets called God their father so here we have this boy who's in the temple at the age of 12 astonishing these teachers he's got answers beyond what he should understand living in Galilee with a carpenter you know, it's not like they had an Encyclopedia Britannica salesman that came and brought you copies of the Bible. I mean, a person wouldn't have all of the, the, the writings that would be kept at the temple. It would be very expensive to get a copy made, to have your own personal copy. And here this kid is, and he knows all this stuff. Why? Because, of course, we know he's God, so he knows these things. Why were you searching for me, he answered. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we see here where Jesus is referring to God as his father. We, of course, the most classic part where I love, and I'm sure most of you, when you truly understand it, would love it too, is when the disciples said to him, how do we pray? He didn't say, pray to the Lord. Oh, hear my prayers. I mean, that's good. We, we pray that. Hear me, Lord. Hear my prayers. But that's not what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. I mean, this is blasphemous stuff for this culture. What do you mean I'm supposed to pray to our Father? Okay, I finally see all the miracles, and I know that you're the Son of God, and I can see that you have, that Father God is your Father, but you're saying I have to say our Father? He's my Father too? And Jesus is like, yes, yes, that's what I came to explain to you and to show you that God wants to be your Father too. And Jesus came to restore us back to that. He continues to explain this. We see this in John chapter 8. And he, you know, he's having this dispute. The Jewish people are kind of, you know, like, what is he talking about? What is he doing? He keeps trying to tell his disciples that he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die. And so it's in John chapter 8, says, verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you will die in your own sins, but where I go, you cannot come. And he's talking to these Pharisees because they were never going to accept him and the salvation that he had. He's just going to say, you're going to die in your sins. And where I'm going, you're not going to come because you won't receive me. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what he says? Where I go, you will not come? But Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he that I am God, that I am your Messiah. If you don't believe it, you're going to die in your sins. I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. But who are you, they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I heard from him, I tell the world. I love this so many places, Jesus would say. I do nothing of my own accord. I only do what the Father shows me. I told you before about when times when they'd be like, where are you? There's all these people. And he said, I have to talk to my father. Why? Because as God, he had to communicate with his other parts. And of course, in human form, us as humans, we have to pray to be able to talk to God. So he had to go and take time to go pray and talk to God. He says, look, I am he, right? Just as I've been telling you from the beginning. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, right, on the cross, then you will know what I, that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed him. Many people are getting it, like, okay. That Messiah that's prophesied in the Old Testament, right, in their holy scriptures that's going to come, he's here and he's God. Like, this is part of God that has come down. And right at the end here in John chapter 14, he does a great, great way here of explaining it. And it starts here in verse 1. I love this. It's right before he's going to the cross. It's like his last supper. He's having all this time with the disciples. And, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He's saying this to the disciples to kind of calm them down because he's about to go to the cross. He's like saying, like, I got to go. 
I got to go and go back up to heaven and be with my father. But don't worry, I'm preparing a place for you. And you're going to come because you believe me. You believe in me as the Messiah. But Thomas, right, poor guy, we always call him Doubting Thomas. And there's a lot more. Read, read through the Gospels if you want to know why he was called that. And here's one of his moments of doubt. But see, here's the thing. We can all be doubting Thomases. We just have to ask God. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? He asked a good question. A lot of us are thinking that. What is he talking about? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See what he's saying to them? He's saying, look, you know him. You have seen him. I am the Father and the Father is in me. I am God. It's kind of like saying, like, I don't know what an egg tastes like. Well, I am, the yolk is part of the egg, right? The, the, the white is part of the egg. You know what an egg tastes like. He's saying, I am in here and he is in me. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. I love this passage. Some of you that say, I just believe in Jesus, Mary. Well, you believe in the Father. Because Jesus didn't do anything without the Father being in him. And when you believe in Jesus and you receive his spirit in you, you've got Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the Father, you've got God in you. The form in which he takes and being inside of you is through his spirit, but it's the same thing. They're all three there. And when you pray, you can pray to the Father in the name of Jesus because when you're saying Father, you're admitting that intimacy. You're admitting that, okay, he's going to care for me and love me like a good father should. And I'm using the name of Jesus because I recognize the authority that I have to be able to ask him things is because of what Jesus did on the cross. Does that make sense? This is so, such a big concept that I really want you guys to get this. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On the day you realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And what was his teaching? Love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So people who are choosing not to walk in love cannot see God because God is love. He's not saying all of you who never sin. He's saying all of you who will not accept to walk in love. He says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You have heard me say, I am going away and I am going to come back to you. If you love me, you'll be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now come, let us leave. So here it is, the night before Jesus is to go to the cross. And there's this deep, deep teaching. And thank goodness that John was wise enough to be sitting there and understanding this this last minute and to be recording this down for all of us to understand. But Jesus is trying to this in this last concept with these guys that have been with him for the last three years to say, you've seen the Father. I am he, he is me. My spirit is in me, and this spirit I'm going to give to you, like, I'm God. This is God. God has come down to you in human form, and there is this loving Heavenly Father who wants to love you, and you've seen him in me because I only do what the Father says to me, and I'm going to go up to heaven, but we're going to send you our, us down to be inside of you in spirit form. Right? So, so God is in heaven, he sends down a human form of himself as the son, is described as the son for us to comprehend. Well, how can God still be up here and he's down here? Okay, this is the son of God that's down here. The body part is the son. We'll call him the son. And he's going to come and he's going to die on the cross. And now with that authority, now you can talk to God and you can see him as your loving father who loves you because he got his love. But now that the physical body part is back up into heaven, we're going to send our spirit down to say, I love you so much. I want you to experience my presence with you all the time. And when you're walking in love, you are walking with God. That's why the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when you get away from love, that's when hate and fear creep in. And yeah, you're human. So it's all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I'll, I'll still love you while you're doing that. But your goal should be able to let go of that fear, should be able to let go of the hate, and to be able to walk in love because you are recognizing and embracing that spirit that's in you, which is love. 
isn't it interesting how demonic spirit really makes us fearful? But God's spirit, when you really walk in that love and you turn the trust in him, man, fear goes and melts away. I'm going to pray for all of you. I know this was kind of deep. I really hope that if you really want to study more of this or if you really want to understand it again, that you go on the, the, the audio, the blog, the, the podcast, that you go on the Facebook Live, you re-listen to this series. Don't let Satan take the truth that has been planted in your heart and snatch it away. And you walk out of here going, I don't get it, it's too deep. I still don't know who God is. What does that have to do with love? I want you to absorb this and let it get deep down in your heart because Satan can't take away what's deep down in your heart. Satan might be able to succeed and take away your house and your loved ones and your things, but nobody, like even if like the Russians invaded and took everything away and they put us in a prison somewhere and I sat in a little prison cell with nothing, they couldn't take that away, what I've learned down in my heart. Could they? They couldn't take that away. So don't let Satan take this away. Get it down in your heart. I remember being young, or even now, like I'll hear a sermon or a teaching, and I really, oh, that's so good. I'll listen to it two or three times. So it gets down deep in my heart. Let me pray for all of you. Father God, your word is so clear. Jesus told us who you are and who he is and who the Holy Spirit is for a reason. He wants us to know and to believe and to receive it. So I pray that as the seed of your word has been planted in the hearts of all of those that are here listening online, that we cover it with the blood of Jesus, that it is not snatched away, but that it, it grows, and their understanding of who you are deepens, and their love for you and the love for others around them grows. May they not be tempted by Satan to hate anymore. May they not be tempted by Satan to fear anymore. But may they truly understand who you are and how much you love them and how you want good things for them. And they can walk in faith despite their circumstances. They can walk in love despite how others treat them. Because how they treat others is not a reflection of how they treated you, but is a reflection of you inside of them. So help them walk in love because you are greater than any behavior anybody else can have towards them. We love you, Father God. We trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Definitely check out the welcome booth if you need any information, the blessing shop downstairs. Let anybody know if you'd like to volunteer or help with anything. And we'll see you all next Sunday at 10 o'clock. Thank you.